Open your Bibles. 1 John 4. John 13. Got some good things tonight. We've been talking about the true love of God. And I had said as we began this that some months ago the Lord really began to stir me up and teach me and correct me. And, uh, you know, this revelation is, is changing my life as much as the revelation about healing or prosperity or any other area, but even more so. Because that's what the Lord began to talk to me about, that we're not to teach love just like another subject. Because He is love. And He began to talk to me that there's a false love. There is a mockery of His true love. And I begin to see how much, for lack of a better word, it irritates Him. I mean, it He despises it. And you can see, I mean, if you don't, that might surprise you to hear that. But as you get into this and you see how great and how precious his love is for anybody to make a mockery of it. Is really the word that came up in my heart is blasphemy. And, and it's, it's a very bad thing. We won't dwell on that. But this, this love is the key to greater degrees of faith and greater receiving. Because our faith works out. By love. If we want our faith to work stronger and our faith to reach up and lay hold of greater vision and lay hold and reap in bigger and better, then what's, what's the prerequisite? What must happen first? There must first come an increased revelation and operation of love. How many believe that we're in the last days? Yes. And that great things are happening? Yes. Even though there are bad things happening? And sin abounding, grace does much more abound. Amen. And anywhere the enemy is able to manifest, God's going to outdo him. He's going to put him in the shade so bad. <laughs> right? And you and I are a vital part of this. And we must have the faith to lay hold of the vision, to lay hold of all the finances and all the revelation and all the strength and all the anointing and the gifts of the Spirit. But what is that faith going to operate off of? Love. So can you see one reason why the Lord had us emphasizing these things? It's not faith first, it's what? Love. Not just love first, but love first, love last, love in the middle, love on the top, love on the bottom, love all the way around, love always. I just got through saying God always. Right. Amen. And when you get hungry and you say, I want to know God, I want to be close to God. What did you just get through saying? Love. I want to know love. I want to understand love. So in 1 John, the fourth chapter, let's read our texts again and get right into some things. 1 John 4. Aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't you glad you're not out in some dumb bar tonight trying to drink yourself crazy? Running after somebody that don't care anything about you anyway? (laughs) Doing some dumb thing? Taking some pills and looking at posters and going, wow, man, wow. (laughs) That just is not where it's at, is it? (laughs) You're not sitting up in your house thinking that you're somebody because you made a little money or something. You know, the Lord said to me some years ago, and oh, how true it is. He said, he said, most of the world is either dead or asleep. 
Another way of saying that is most of the people on the planet don't have a clue of what's going on. Most, most of them are either dead or asleep. Dead means, he's talking about spiritually. Dead means you haven't been born again. You're spiritual, you're dead to God, you're dead to the things of God. So certainly you don't know the plan, the purpose, you don't know what God's doing in the earth. But the second group is a huge group. It's people who have been born again, but they're asleep. Well, people who are in a deep sleep from a distance, they look like somebody that's dead. Don't they? They're just laying there still. You look at them, they look dead. Right? What did he say in Ephesians? Awake, thou that sleepest, and rise up from the dead. And what will happen? Christ will give you light. Well, when you turn on the light, you go, whoa. So this is where we are. (laughs) And this is what's happening, and that's what's coming up. And don't you want to be awake? Don't you want don't sleep through this life? Don't you want to be wide awake, spiritually wired, in tune, on the line? I want to be right in the middle of what God is doing, right on the edge of what He's doing in the earth, awake. All spiritual senses 100%. Amen. Amen. When God speaks, you hear it. When faith comes, you do it. Amen. Say out loud, I'm awake. And I'm going to get even more awake. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Fella could preach easy in this place tonight. 1 John 4. We haven't read our text yet, have we? Get there. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not, knows not God. For God is Love. Let's say it again. Say it out loud a couple of three times. God is love. Say it again. God is love. One more time. God is love. Then is there anything more important than love? No. We'd suggested to you earlier, for those of you that weren't here, that it's enlightening. It opens up whole areas of revelation to you. If any time you're reading in the Bible and you see the word God, or you're praying, or you're prophesying, or, or you're talking about God to somebody else, if you'll listen and let your heart substitute the word love for God, it opens up whole realms to you. So I'd, I'd encourage you over the next few weeks or even months, practice this. When you're reading your Bible and you see the word God, what are you going to read? Love. Love. And and watch what will happen. It will just open up whole realms of things to you. I wish I could stop and give you some examples and take some time, but that's, that's not the direction. But do it on your own. Let me encourage you. Do it on your own. And when you're talking about God with other people, just, just insert the word love. Love. Well, well, what happened with your body? Love healed me. Amen. What about those finances you were believing for? Love supplied all my needs. <laughs> Hallelujah. You see what I'm talking about? You see just a couple of small examples and you're already, yeah, it ministers to you, doesn't it? Do it for yourself. 
Do it. You have to remind yourself now. You can let this get away from you. But you'll get a lot of revelation if you'll do this. Go please now to John 13. John, the 13th chapter, and the 34th verse. John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And when he says one another, who is he talking about? Fellow Christians, right? Yes, we're to love the world. Yes, we're to love and care about the unsaved. But that's not specifically the application of this charge in verse. He's talking about me loving you, my fellow Christian brother or sister. You loving me. Us loving each other. And verse 35, by this, by you and I loving each other with the God kind of love as a way of life, this is how all men will know that we are his disciples. If and when we have this love one to another. Of all the things that he could have said. He didn't say, by your tongues they'll know that you're spiritual and you follow me. He didn't say, by the miracles that happen in your life. People will look and know that you are a Christian, you are a follower and a disciple of the anointed one, you are one like Jesus. I mean, there are groups that are not even saved that have meetings and, and have supernatural happenings. They give, they pray, right? But what will cause anybody that knows this to sit up and know, that's a real Christian? What? This divine kind of love. By this will all men know that you're my disciples. Go on over, please, to the 15th chapter. 15.9. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Stay in it. So, obviously, if he said that, it's possible that you uh, would not continue in it. You wouldn't have to stay in the love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide, you shall live, stay in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide, stay, live in His love. Jesus lived in the manifest love of the Father. He lived with the awareness that he was completely pleasing the Father every day, all day long, that the Father loved him, was pleased with him. And when he is, it's not going to be a secret to you. You know it. I mean, when you wake up, the air smells better. The grass is greener. Everybody looks better. Life is better because you don't just live in your house, at your address, in your state. You live in here. Amen. And the state in here is what determines how much you enjoy life. Where is the place to live to fully enjoy life? It's in, on Love Street, in Love House, in the state of love. Amen. In the nation of love. Can you wake up in a love world 
every morning. We know that the world can be an ugly place and there's a lot of ugliness in the world. But do you, even though you are in the world, are you of the world? Do you have to live in that realm? Can you live in the love realm? Can you? Huh? If you believe that you live in a love realm, it would make you happy. <laughs> Where do you live? I live in love. <laughs> Jesus lived in this love, and this love, you know, flowed through him and healed people. This love delivered people. This love brought revelation. There's another way of saying God was in him and, and moved through him. The Holy Ghost flowed through him. Another way of saying the anointing. What is the anointing? Isn't it the manifestation of the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God? Isn't it a manifestation of God, which is a manifestation of? The, is the anointing a manifestation of love? What about the glory of God? What is the glory of God? Is it a manifestation of love? Yes. Yes. And it sets your mind and your heart in the right frame and on the right plane when you're thinking love all the time. That means you're thinking God all the time. Keep reading. He said, verse 11, these things have I spoken to you that what? That my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Hallelujah. This is, this is one of the most important things, I believe, so far that I've gotten out of the Lord dealing with me about this, is this aspect. If it's true love, there will be real joy accompanying it. This helps you keep from getting off because you'll see people that talk about walking in love, but look at their face. They're sad. Huh? Well, we just got to walk in love. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I mean, and when you read scriptures like laying down your life for the Lord and, and, and taking up your cross and following Him, most Christians, uh, they can only, they only feel, you know, down when they hear that and read that. But that's because of deception. That's because of not having light. Is it true that when you hold on to your life, you lose it? But when you lay down your life for the Lord, which means for people, to minister to people, what happens? You find it. When you sow, when you give, even sacrifice, even lay down your life, according to Jesus, what happens? His joy. Hallelujah. When you love each other like He loved us, the joy. well, just look at Him. What happened to Him? Even at the darkest hour of His life, at the cross, what did it say? He endured the cross, suffering the shame. And how did He do it? For the joy... Hallelujah for the joy that was set before him. Even if it feels like you're being crucified in something. Even if it feels like you're, you're dying through this thing. What, what do you know is coming right on the other side of this? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Hallelujah. When you really see this, it'll make you hungry to learn more, to learn how to give, how to lay your life down, how to take up your cross. Because it's not a bad thing. When the Lord told you, take up your cross and follow me, he wasn't trying to make you depressed for the rest of your life. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I said, it's a good thing. 
Because he made us. He knows what it takes to satisfy us. The selfish life, you know, we talked about two main ways that people live. The law of the flesh or the law of Christ. The law of flesh is that you live for yourself. But the law of Christ, Galatians 6 says, is that you bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The selfish life is the narrow, restricted, unhappy, dissatisfied life. It's the small life. I mean, living for the moment is just not living for enough. Right? Oh, but living by the law of Christ, getting up in the morning to please God and help somebody and just get to the place where you go for great lengths of time and don't even think about you. And you live to give and you live to pour out. That carries you over into the God life. The big life. Hallelujah. The soul satisfying life. The fulfilling life. Can you say amen? Amen. If you've ever been used of God to meet somebody's needs, I don't have to explain it any further to you. You know how you feel. Don't you? God used you to pray. He used you to minister to somebody. He used you to give money to somebody or whatever it was. And you saw it was ordained of God. You were an instrument in his hand. And you took grief off of them. You took heaviness off of them. It brought joy to them. It refreshed their spirit. Who got blessed more? You did. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, you go home and lay your head on the pillow and you feel like, forget a million bucks. You feel like a trillion. You feel, right? You, you feel wonderful. Why? Because he said, you do this and my joy, the personal joy of the Lord Jesus Christ will be in you. And then your joy can't help but fill up and your cup runneth over. Can you say Amen. Amen. Can you say, I believe it? Hallelujah. Go with me, please, back to John 13. We read the 34th and 35th verse where Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. We talked about verse 35, by this all men will know. But the Lord directed me, he said, go back and see the setting of this. See what brought me to saying that. And I saw some wonderful things. I want to share them with you. I want you to let the Lord show them to you, I'm saying. This, you remember, is right before the feast of the Passover. And verse 1 of chapter 13, verse 1. He knew that his hour was come. He knew he had completed the earthly part of ministry. Numerous times in this same account of John, it says that his hour was not yet come. You know, they tried to kill him two or three times. And he said he knew his hour was not yet come. They couldn't touch him. He just walked through the crowd. But here, he knew he had come to the end of his earthly course. He knew it. And watch what happens and how this unfolds. Jesus knew that his hour was come. And that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. And having what? Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He's about to face scourging. He's about to face the cross. He's about to face 
being made sin with our sin and separation from the presence of God. And you know what he's thinking about? Them. His followers. His disciples. And at this moment it says he loved them. And he loved them to the end. He loved them right up to the end of this whole thing. The earthly ministry. You know it reminded me of Jeremiah 31. 3. Don't turn there but you might know it. It said the Lord has appeared of old to me. And he said yea I have loved you with an everlasting love. And that's why with loving kindnesses I have drawn you. How long does this love stay with you? You know, we we say things like that, but you know, you and I need not fear death because he will be there. Amen. He said it. It's a fact. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he's not just going to stand there coldly. He loves you. Amen. And in this life, and even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and when you face death, and if you die before he, he returns, you will step out of this body directly into love. Hallelujah. You won't be afraid. You won't be afraid to leave. You'll want to take the scenic route and see the Milky Way on your way up. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. You and I have nothing to fear. Now, do you remember why 1 John says perfect love does what? It casts out fear. It, it eliminates it. It displaces it completely from your being. Oh, glory to God. And you can walk in greater and greater and greater degrees of this love and boldness right here, right now. He loved his own and loves his own to the end. And verse 2, the supper being ended... The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, as we go on to see, they were, they were breaking bread. And eventually, you know, he talked to them about the cup and, and the, uh, the broken body. And I want you to, to have some things in mind because we're going to have communion tonight. Amen. And I want you, to, by the time we get there, we're going to release faith. Amen. And I want you to be able to see it perhaps in a little bit different light than you may have seen it before. Trace it back to its origin. What was this about right here? We've already read just a couple of scriptures, but what was this about? Love. I said love. What was being expressed and what was being manifested in this supper and in these acts? Love. Supper being ended... It said, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now, isn't it something? Can you picture yourself being at this Last Supper, as it's called, with Jesus? We're going to go on just a moment to see how he he washed their, their feet. And how he ministered to them and talked to them. And, and, and assured them that they were going to be okay, that he, the Father was sending another comforter, that it was even going to be better for them. And in the midst of that, you got the devil manifest right there. Isn't that something? We just need to be aware of it, that in the greater manifestations of love, the devil's going to try to stick his ugly head up. But which is greater? The love of God. 
Could somebody be in the midst of this kind of love and be so blinded and deceived that they're yielding to the devil? It happened with Ananias and Sapphira. It's such a great move of God. And here they are, yielded to the devil and judgment came. But you see what happened on the end of that judgment. Everybody just respected God and was afraid of God that wasn't included. And the Bible said multitudes were added to the Lord. They just swallowed it up and just went on. Keep reading, please. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and he went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and he took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Hallelujah. Did you put yourself there while I was reading that? Do you hear what the Master is doing? He didn't do this to demonstrate how great he was. Did you hear me? He didn't do this to demonstrate his great humility. People have seen this wrong. Why did he do this? To show them how much he loved them and how they were to love each other. Now hold your place. We're going to talk some more about this. But hold your place and go on over to the uh, 15th chapter. John chapter 15. He said verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. While he was washing their feet, he had already committed in his heart, that's exactly what he was going to do. Right? Lay down his life. And how many understand that we are just as much his disciples as these people? Right? And if we'd have been there, he'd have washed your feet. Do you know the Bible actually talks about in the future time to come about him serving us at a meal? It's hard to comprehend, isn't it? You might say, no way Jesus is going to serve me. Well, you sound like Peter, don't you? <laughs> the Lord had said to me some time ago, I said it in previous lessons, that, uh, that perhaps the most challenging thing For his people to believe is his great love toward us. How much he cares for us. Listen to this word and I want you to to get it changed in your mind so that you never hear it again the same way. He said in the 14th chapter, he said, if you keep my commandments, you love me. Two or three times. But now listen to this. Now he says... Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. He he interchanges the word friend and love. The word friend in our modern vernacular has lost so much of its meaning. It's just been thrown around. Until to so many people it just means nothing. Do you understand that it is significant that the Lord uses this word here? 
doesn't he? He said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for who? He laid down his life for us, didn't he? What does that make us? Is that a big thing? Huh? Do we view it as a big thing or do we think, well, ho-hum, friends, I got a lot of friends. No, not really. Not what he's talking about here. A lot of what you may think is not what he's saying. He goes on to say, you are my friends. He's proven that he is our friend. He laid down his life for us. But now it's our turn. Amen. To prove to him we are his friend by what? By doing whatever he commands us to do. And that will involve us laying down our life. But is that a bad thing? That's the only thing that will satisfy us anyway. Right? You guys are doing good tonight. Y'all are hooked good. You are my friends. If you do whatever I command you. Hallelujah. I want you to just say it one time. I'm getting to some things. But just say it one time. He is my friend. And I am his friend. Friend literally means that you are fond of someone, that they are dear to you. And, and I mean, I could go on with a number of definitions, but you don't want to get too hung up on these things. You want to get the spiritual input of it. A friend is also a partner. But now, don't, don't just think on one tangent with partner. A partner is a sharer. Someone that you have fellowship with. Fellowship means you share common things. When we sit down to a meal, if there's a big bowl of beans and bread on the table and you and I eat together, we, you eat beans and I eat beans and you eat bread and I eat bread and when we get through, we both got the same thing in us. That's fellowship. Well, not only that, But if we're talking about something while we're eating, right? You know, words are just letters. But the letters are put together and we put spiritual content in it. And I take things from the inside of me and put it in my words and give them to you. And you take them and if you believe them and you value them, if you value me, you value my words. If you're fond of me and I'm dear to you, then my words are dear to you. Then you'll take my words and you go, oh, oh, thank you, thank you for your words. And you'll take them and you'll eat them. And then what was in me gets down in you. And then you take some of the precious things in you and you put them in your letters and your words and you say, here. And I take them and I say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I take them and you and I wind up with the same things in us. Hallelujah. That's fellowship. That's koinonia. That's, that's communion. Oh, are you with me tonight? Communion. When we take communion together, And that's not just when we observe the Lord's Supper per se in a service. It's any time I see you and you me and our hearts are right. And you are dear to me and I am dear to you. And what I have is dear to you and what you have is dear to me. There immediately begins to be a reciprocal flow. 
That's supposed to be happening from the body through every part all the way down through every member. A reciprocal flow. A supply of the Spirit. Amen. And joint supplying every part until there is an overall edifying building up of the body in love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, help me to to get this out better. Friend means something. Friend means something. In Proverbs, don't turn there, but Proverbs says, A friend loves at all times. Amen? Another translation says of it, a true friend is always loyal. How do you know your friend? A real friend is a friend when? At all times. He goes on to say in Proverbs that open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Would you rather have a friend slap you than an enemy kiss you? Yeah. Anything. Right? Whew. Don't give me no slobbering enemy kiss. Does that bother you like it does me? Whew. Another one says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. He wouldn't have slapped you unless you needed it. (laughs) Right? And he waited as long as he could. (laughs) But you just needed it bad. So it's like that old aftershave commercial. What are you supposed to say? Thanks. I needed that. It goes on to say in that same chapter, Proverbs 27, 9 says, Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. And so does the sweetness of a man's friend by counsel of the soul. We're talking about precious things here, friend. Aren't we? He goes on in the same chapter in the 17th verse to says, Iron sharpens iron, and so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Now come back to this in John 15. Verse 13, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. A friend is someone who's dear to you. You see their value. And see, that's, that, that's the, the, the basis and the root of God's great love to us. He loved us when we didn't see anything of value in ourselves. And looking back over my life, it, it, it makes me want to weep right now. But looking back over my life, the people I can see, just with my few short years of experience, that you can say, that's a real friend. Are people who saw things in me I didn't see in me. Who believed in me even when I didn't. 
Amen. Amen. People, you know, I'm looking back now, people who helped me get started in ministry. Different times would call me aside and say, you know, you, you've got an anointing in this area. And, and man, when you do this, it just it's a blessing. And I'm thinking, really? <laughs> I thought people were just tolerating me. But when people, and, and I'm not talking about flattery now, I'm not talking about vain flattery. That's like the enemy kiss. You don't want none of that. <laughs> don't slobber on me with that vain flattery. But people that really, they love you enough to look past the junk and keep pushing the weeds and junk aside until they go, whoa, look here, look here. <laughs> this is something rich. And if they begin to talk about it and begin to show it to you until you start seeing it. And you start believing it and you begin to acknowledge every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. That's a friend. That's a friend. And even if you've blown it and messed up and you're sitting on the ash heap like Job scraping yourself with a broken bowl. <laughs> they'll swing by and come by and say, brother, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. That anointing's still on your life. Those gifts are still in there. I can see them. They believe in you. You cannot put a price on somebody that believes in you. That's why the Bible says your friend and your father's friend forsake not. People that have stood by you, stood by your fathers and, 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 and your family members and they believed in you and they trusted you and they had faith in you. You do not, no matter what the reason, throw them away. You do not write them off. These things are not accidental. They are God joined. They're, they're connections of God for, for people to see you and God give them a glimpse into you and to see some of his gifts. Like we were singing this morning, I can see things precious in you, things of great value. That's of God. And it's a friend, a gift of God. Can you say amen? amen. Keep reading. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knows not. Now did you hear that? The servant what? Does the servant get the revelation? Does the servant knows what's going on? What's going on? No. Servant knows not what his Lord does, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Oh, to be the friend of God. Do you know what that means? It means he takes you into his secret counsel. Oh, glory to God. Are you the friend of God? What does that mean? It means that you are dear to Him. He's fond of you. You are precious to Him. You are the apple of His eye. 
And you're no longer, having been born again and in Christ Jesus, no longer just a servant. Yes, we serve God, but we're not just servants. We are sons, and not just sons, we are friends. The, yeah, the servants, he doesn't tell everything. The servants don't know. They just do what they're told. But you and I are friends. You see this all the way through the Word of God. Even in the book of James, we're reminded that Abraham was called the friend of God. Do you remember that? And Moses. Listen to Exodus 33. Don't turn there. But Exodus 33:11 says, The Lord spoke to Moses face to face, just like a man speaks to his friend. Is there anything you want in life more than this? That the Almighty, the Almighty, the Creator of heavens and earth talks to you face to face like a man with his friend. Hallelujah. Just like Adam and Eve sat down with him in the cool of the day and talked about him. Adam said, God, how do you do that? That sunset, how do you do that? And he explained it to him in detail. And he understood it. (laughs) Now that's precious times. That's communion. Say it again, God's my friend. And I am his. The Bible said concerning... Abraham, you remember when uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was about to be judged and destroyed, the angel of the Lord came to Abraham. And you know what he said to him? Shall I hide from Abraham the thing I'm about to do? Abram's called the, the friend of God. What does that mean? If somebody's your friend, you don't leave them out. Did you hear me? Now we're we're getting to a lot of things here. But see, if you love God above your very breath, then you are going to tap in to the friendship of God like other folk don't. And you're going to get into the inner counsel of God. And these things will begin to work in your life. And the Lord, before it happens, he'll come by and say, I got to talk to you, friend. We're about to do this in the earth. I couldn't leave my friend out. I want you to know. Didn't the, didn't the Lord do this with Abraham? He said, I can't do this before I talk to you. A man. A man. Now listen, you and I need to stir up more along this line between each other. We don't need to go spill our problems on each other all the time. We don't need to do it. We talked about that this morning. But we don't need to leave each other out of our lives either. And the Lord said to me on a couple of occasions, He said, if you don't let them help you and stand with you and believe with you in this, then they don't get to partake of the glory and the victory either. 
And so the things that are the most significant to us and the most weighty to us, your real friends, you have to include. Did you hear me? And the things that are most precious to you, if they're friends, what happens? You share them. You share them. I've seen preachers afraid somebody else might preach their stuff. <laughs> so they wouldn't talk. They wouldn't talk to you. They wouldn't share with you. Like well, They start talking about something you can just say. They just shut down. <laughs> Why? Because they're afraid somebody else's name might get stuck to their great revelation. Well, are you so deceived to thinking you're the first one that ever heard any of that? Are you kidding me? None of us are creating revelation. We're vessels. Amen. And if you're free with your revelation, you're sowing. Amen. Did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to have a harvest. You're going to have multiplied harvest coming in. Amen. If people hold it precious, share it. Of course, be led by the Lord, but don't be closed. There's some things that have happened in the faith circles that are not good. People are trying to project a facade of a higher level of faith than where they really are. I used to see Rhema students do this. I saw a group sitting talking one time. They, they were talking about some things, and it just I, I had to get up and leave and laugh. Because they were trying to talk about scriptures and about what they knew about God. And, and one would get to a place and just wouldn't say anything else. Another one would because they were afraid if they said too much, the other one would realize what they didn't know. Or that they didn't know what a scripture was or they didn't know, understand this or have this revelation. And so they were so stiff and so cold and, and sit with each other and just, and finally they just said, well, bye, we'll see you and they all left, you know. Not realizing they could have had rich fellowship. To just open the door and go, you understand that? No, uh-uh. You seen that? No, well, me neither. <laughs> Let's believe God. Did you ever wonder about this? Yeah, I really did. You understand what it means? Not at all. But friends... Don't hide from friends. They don't lie to friends. They don't try to project facades. You are what you are. You are where you are. And a friend doesn't care. Amen. They love you anyway. Even if you're in a low place, they believe you're going somewhere big. I had a couple invited me to their house uh, when I was... I was their lab teacher in, in school and stuff, and usually I didn't do that, but the Lord led me to, to go with them, have a meal. And this brother, bless his heart, he came to me a few weeks later because he asked me, his wife wanted to fix us a meal, and, and, and I said, well, you know, I thought about it, and I came back and told him, I said, okay. He came back to me about a week later, he said, I'm sorry, Brother Keith, uh, she was standing right there, he said, uh, I don't think you can come. <laughs> and I said, yeah. He said, well, he said, if you do, it's going to cost me a lot of money that I really ain't got. He said, because my wife said the couch is tore up and you can't come sit on that couch. And uh, the table's got a shaky leg and stuff. And it's just going to cost me too much money for you to come. And boy, she was poking him. I just said, shut up. Shut up. And, <laughs> but he was just more honest than a lot of people are. Huh? 
You see people, they won't share, they won't fellowship because they're embarrassed. Because they don't have a huge house or they, they can't buy the fanciest food or this or that. I remember when we first got to Tulsa. Didn't know anybody. Barely had enough money to get in the door. And we were there and just felt like, you know, half the demons around were trying to tell us, you are crazy. You have missed God. You're going to starve to death out here and everything else. And, and a couple we didn't know met us at the door and shook hands with us and said, well, you're moving in. We told them, yeah. And, and just a couple hours later, they come. They had a big pot of uh, beans cooked and some other things. And it wasn't much. I mean, it was a real basic meal. I know it didn't cost a lot of money. But they said, come in here and eat with us. And I'm telling you, I remember that to this day. You know what I mean? Why? Because you needed something. You need somebody in this big old city that acknowledged that you were alive. And acted like they might care a little bit. And they had a little bitty, little bitty apartment and little bitty pot. But I'm telling you, it ministered to me as if it had been a 12-course meal in a castle. But you got people. They won't invite people over. They won't eat. They won't invite people to spend the night. Why? Well, we don't have enough bed. Do you remember just a few years ago? I mean, my grandparents, they'd have half the community sleep over sometimes. I mean, you know, they... they they only had, you know, a couple of beds, but they invite everybody and all their kids and all their kids. Where are they going to sleep? They didn't bother them. Pile it on the floor. Right? People didn't think like that. They, and my, my granddad had a saying. He said, peas and pawn, eat it or leave it alone. And he said, such as it is, you're welcome to it. They didn't apologize because they didn't have, you know, quail on toast. We need to get rid of trying to act like that we're at a place going dead up over our head to wear a couple of fancy clothes and a ring and come in and say, yes, hallelujah, I believe in prosperity. And then somebody talk about, well, let's go over to your house and have a cup of tea. And you go, oh, oh well, no, no, no. <laughs> Because you live in a dump and you know when they walk in, they're going to realize that you've just been hyping a bunch of stuff. (laughs) You can't enjoy your friends. I said you can't enjoy your friends. Life is too short to do all this dumb stuff. (laughs) How did we get into all that? You are my friends. If you do what I command you, and with the characteristic of a friend, we talked about a couple of them. But he said, the friend is taken into counsel. All things that I've heard of my father, I have made known to you. Be ready for this now, because God's going to do some things in your life, personally and ministerially. The job that's ahead of us, no one man or one ministry or three or four churches can do. And before there will be the interlocking of faith shields and the joining of anointing and graces, there must be the removal of all this junk, this pride and this selfishness. And we've got to open our lives and let people see what's there.
And if they are a friend, they'll be glad. Amen? Amen. And you know, you'll find out something. Several years ago, there were some people that I had to be honest, I had to struggle with envy about. Because I just thought, man, they're, they're so far out beyond me. And you know, they got things in God that I want. And, and, and whew, just, I, oh, I wish I was there. But I, you know, had enough sense to just get my mind off that and get back on doing what I'm supposed to do. And a few years later, found out I was way ahead of them. Didn't know it in those things I was talking about. And you know, it'll be that way a lot with you. You'll find out some things and maybe, you know, the devil's lied to them and said, well, you know, they're too far out for you. You know, they wouldn't even like fellowshipping with you. And he told you the same thing about them. Huh? He's a liar. Just strip it all off and bare your soul and amen and say, such as it is, you're welcome to it. <laughs> amen. And they might smile and say, that's better than what I got. (laughs) And the flow begins the reciprocal sharing of fellowship and you're mutually edified. That's supposed to happen all over the body. Now go back with me to John 13. All these things are great and good, but we, we have another couple of things to get to. John 13. Jesus... Loved his own. Loved them to the end. And he demonstrated this love in such a a timeless act. He got up from supper. He is the master. He is the Lord. And they do love him. And he got up. Pulls off his his clothes, and he had some nice clothes. He pulled them off, laid them aside, took a towel, wrapped around him like a slave might have. Got some water and brought it over and knelt down in front of them and started washing their feet. Now, the very terminology of friend means dear, fond. And you'll see this in mothers and daddies with their babies, with their children, in you know, husbands and wives and, and friends. You ever seen somebody reach over and, 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 and brush something off of or try to straighten something or look what Jesus did. He got down and he took what would have been the lowliest and the dirtiest part. And he's not just trying to prove that he's something. He did this with tenderness. He did this with every touch. He's saying, you're dear to me. You're precious to me. He's thinking, in just a few hours, I'm going to the cross. And I'm glad to do it for you. For you. Because you're precious to me. And he went over to the other one and took the lowliest and the dirtiest part. And he washed it and touched them and took the towel and dried them. This is a love supper. This is a love touch. It's all love. He got to Peter and it was too much for Peter. Peter said, no, not you. You will never wash my feet, no. And you know it's hard. But the Lord looked at him and said, if I don't wash you, you don't have a part with me. 
One thing you can say about Peter, he said, <laughs> Okay, alright. Wash my feet, my hands, my head. Thank God. But he went through everyone, including Judas. I said, including Judas. You know the master, he didn't wash his feet any differently than he did John's or Matthew's. He washed his feet exactly the same way, touched them, washed them. And with every, every movement of his face, every touch of his hand, he's saying, you're precious to me, you're dear to me. Like Paul said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. I'm glad to do this for you. Because you're precious to me. But now there's something very serious about someone like Judas receiving such an act of love sitting there planning to betray. I want you to see what happened. Verse 12. After he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said to them, Know you what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say well and right, for so I am. And if I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Do you understand that this goes together with the Last Supper? This was all one happening. You do understand that. And so if we don't have this spirit about our observing communion, we're missing it. And I'm going to show you in more detail than just this. But this whole thing was an expression of the eternal, everlasting love. That he has, had, and has, and will always have for his own. And he said he did it not just to do that, but for us to follow the example. You know, some people still practice foot washing, literally. And I have and do in different situations. But you, just like communion, you could do it and not do it. Right? Which the church at Corinth was failing to do. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But it all goes together. And when you take communion tonight, and when you take it again, I want you to see this scene clearly before you. This happened all together. And you and I are not just to leave thinking that God's paid the price, but also you and I are to do this. For each other. That's what he told us. That's what we're to get out of it. That we're to do this for each other. What are we to do? That's not just on specific times that you might be involved in this ordinance. But it is every day. Whether you spend a lot of time with somebody or not. Especially a child of God. Especially a brother or sister in the Lord. That through your look. Through your touch. They can tell they are dear to you. 
Oh, you don't have to, 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 to gush and, and waste a lot of time and say things that are not true. Don't do that. Don't flatter. But oh, you, you can just come up and put your hand on somebody's shoulder and not say a lot. But if it's in your heart, they can discern it. Can't they? I mean, you don't have to say a lot of things sometimes. If it's in your eyes, people can see it. They can discern it. Amen. And it's as though you were kneeling down in front of them and taking the lowliest and the dirtiest part of you and caressing it like it's a fine jewel. Hallelujah. And he's saying to them and he's saying to you and me, I love you. I've always loved you. I will love you forever. There's nothing I wouldn't give you. There's nothing I wouldn't do for you. I'll show you right now. And it was only hours later. He gave everything. He gave his spirit. He gave his soul. He gave his body. He gave everything. And he did it gladly. Because we were in our so precious to him. Now, there is nothing greater in this world than this love. But all of humanity is going to be judged by what we do with this love. All of humanity. That's what the good news is. The good news is God loves you. He's not against you. He's not holding your sins and trespasses against you. He's already put them all on Jesus and Jesus paid the price. And if you'll just accept him, you can be free and born again right now. And it's not to be preached hard. It's not to be preached legalistically. It's to be preached in the love that you and I are talking about tonight. But what if somebody spurns that love? What if they do despite unto the spirit of grace? What if they sit there and hear, you know... And see this great love and the Spirit of God gets in them and convicts them and shows them the reality of this. And they sit there like Judas and harden their hearts and purpose to go out with their plan. I want you to notice what happens. Verse 21, when Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit. And he testified and he said, verily, verily, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He just got through touching his feet. Then the disciples looked one on another and they doubted of whom he spake. In other words, they wondered who it was. And there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples. Which one? The one whom Jesus loved. Of course, he's writing the book. <laughs> And Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. And he then lying where? Well, he didn't have to turn far, did he? A couple of inches, I guess. <laughs> didn't have to speak very loud either. Apparently the other ones didn't hear it. And he said, Lord, who is it? Now watch. Jesus answered and said, He it is to whom I shall give. Everybody say give. give. Love gives. Even to its enemies. Love gives. God so loved the world that he gave. The one I'm going to give a sop or a morsel. When I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop. He gave it to Judas Iscariot the son of Simon. And what happened? 
Get the picture now. This is against... Do you understand? This whole evening, Jesus has pulled out the stops. He is manifesting love to his own completely. I mean, he's not going, this is not going to happen again in the physical like this. He knows this. You talk about love. You know what the love was like in that room? Like in this room. Hallelujah. And Jesus, to a man that's, though he's loved him for years and no telling what, no telling, we don't know how many of Judas' friends and family got healed under Jesus' ministry. We, we don't know how many Judas' debts, were, all his debts paid off and all the kind of things. And he knows he's stealing from him and he still doesn't call him down. And he reaches and takes some bread with his own hand and, and reaches it in the dipping sauce and holds it up to Judas's mouth. Total love. You know what he was doing? He was giving him a chance. Did you hear me? Love, the goodness of God, should move you to repentance, shouldn't it? Every human being on this planet is going to be judged by how we respond to the love of God. When he held this, this bread, I mean, can you think of anything more tender? The master hand feeding you? And he holds it up to his mouth and he takes it and smiles at him and swallows it. And at that moment, look what happened. Satan, after the sop, Satan entered into him. When you mock and spurn in this type of hypocrisy the true love of God, you open your being up to the devil. I mean, he, the enemy entered him. He went out and did what he did. Friends, I believe you and I are on the verge is not the right word. We're, we're in the, the doorway. And we're seeing on the horizon the greatest outpouring of the love of God this planet has seen. It will reach, and it is, it's begun, but it is reaching and will reach every people, every tribe, every religion. And the, it's going to be unmistakable. It's going to be greater than the healing revival. It's going to be greater than the moves in time past. The love of God and the glory of God will fill and is filling the earth. And all humanity will see the undeniable love of God. They'll see it in healings. They'll see it in forgiveness. They'll see it in miracles. They'll see it in signs and wonders in the heavens above and the earth beneath. But, though there will be many who will melt and say, I love you too, and receive him, there will be many who harden themselves and stiffen because of their pride and because of every other 
ungodly thing. And when this happens, the devil moves in full. And then what happened to Judas after this? I mean, it's just a matter of hours, you might say, until he's hanging from a tree. The destruction will be swift and complete. But we will be held in the secret counsel of our friend. We will be under the shadow of the Most High. Hallelujah. We, we will be with our head on the bosom of the Master. And if we press into this, all we'll have to do is turn our head and ask some questions. And he's going to tell us some things. And before some things happens, he's going to say, shall I do this before I tell my friends? Are you ready for us to share communion tonight? Go to 1 Corinthians 11, please. Do you love the Lord? Does he love you? My, my, my. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. He said, Now in this that I declare to you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Does that mean they'd have been better off staying home? Their coming together resulted in Worse, right? For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. You know, there's a lot of things you should only partly believe. <laughs> For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. In other words, what you're calling the Lord's Supper is not the Lord's Supper. Now listen, for, but before I finish reading this, let me tell you what the Lord told me, uh, why I'm talking to you about this passage tonight. He directed me, look at this, when I was reading in John about the, the Last Supper. He said, go back to 1 Corinthians 11 and read the New Testament application of this. And he said, and don't just try to look at the spiritual side of it, look at the natural side. You've overlooked that. Look at the natural side. So do that with me while we read. He said, when you come together, uh, this is not just to eat the Lord's Supper. You're, this is not the Lord's Supper. Why? Why not? For in eating, everyone taketh before the other. His own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What's he saying? You're inconsiderate. Now, is that a big deal? That they didn't wait on each other? See, most people will think, well, you know, that's not. No. Because, you know, what, what if Jesus said, you know, half the disciples weren't there at the Last Supper? He said, well, let's just go ahead. <laughs> huh? Ah. Uh. Because what is this about? This is about love. And it's, it's about us rejoicing and celebrating in God's love for us. But it's about God expressing that love through us to each other. 
And they came together and he said, One of you is hungry and the other is drunk. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Do you despise the church of God? Do you shame them that have not? See, some of them that had more than others, more prosperity, they were coming in, setting up a big banquet table and had all these big roast turkeys and, and all these, you know, uh, beef and lamb and everything else and all this stuff. And somebody else was over here with a peanut butter sandwich. And apparently went through the whole deal and stuffed theirself and didn't even ask them to join them. Is that the Lord's Supper? He goes on to say, shall I, What shall I say to you in this? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Are they getting rebuked? They're getting seriously corrected. He goes on to talk about the observance of communion in the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do in just a moment. But he goes on to say in verse 29... He that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks condemnation or judgment to himself, not discerning what? Who is the Lord's body? Yes, we're to discern that his physical body was broken for us, that we might be whole. But also, can you see that the specific application of it is the rest of the church? The rest of the body where you are, you pull up in there and you gorge yourself and you get drunk and everything else. And you're not even aware that these other guys are there. And you've got people that are going home hungry. And you don't wait for each other and there's all this disarray. He's saying you don't even know what's going on. You don't even know. You are not discerning that you are all one body. And why I died, you're acting like these people don't matter. Can you see other reasons why people like James said, you know, don't you dare be a respecter of persons or treat people differently because of the way they're dressed and all like that. See, we, we cannot have any kind of a caste system. It goes against the very gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He stripped off his robes and reached down and washed the lowest and dirtiest part of the body. There are no insignificant, unimportant parts. He said, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Verse 31, If we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, now see, he said all that, and here's the application. Verse 33, wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, what's the punchline? Wait on each other. Man, this has a lot of application. How many know that, you know, just because you, you, you get all your debts paid off and you got three new cars and three airplanes and a vacation home and everything else, that you can't be happy. You can't be satisfied until your brother's got them too. If he wants them. You understand what I'm saying? Your body's healed and you're doing good and you're feeling good. Can I just prop up my feet and say, well, eat, drink and be merry and lay up a lot of good stuff? No, uh -uh, uh-uh. We're all part of the same body. As long as you're in debt, I'm in debt. As long as you're sick, I'm sick. Is that right? Let me say it stronger. As long as you're sick, Jesus is sick. He is the head. We are the body. 
We can't leave anybody. How many believe Jesus is not going to leave anybody? He's not going to leave any of his. Not one. I don't care. You might think they're a miserable wretch of a Christian. But if they're genuinely born again, he loves them just as much as he loves you. He might not love everything they say and do, but he loves them just as much. He loves every one of us just as much as he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, so wait on each other. Wait on, say that out loud. Wait for each other. Say it again. Wait for each other. One more time. Say it again. Wait for each other. See, this has natural, but it also has spiritual application. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together under condemnation or judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. I want us to take communion this evening. But I want it to be as glorious to you as it has ever been. And I want while you're taking communion, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to see Jesus washing your feet. I want you to see him reach up and offer bread to your mouth. I want you to feel the caress of his hand and the touch of his spirit. And I want you to hear him tell you how dear you are to him and how much he loves you and how glad and willing he was to pay the price that he did for you. And when you do that, I want you to receive healing power for your body. Amen. I want you to receive restoration for your soul. Now, friend, let me tell you, I'm telling you by the Spirit, we're going to have healings in this building right now. Healings. We're going to have deliverances. We're going to have physical healings. We're going to have hurts that have been in people from childhood. You're going to be healed of them tonight. Healed of them tonight. But you've got to have two things going on. While you receive of the elements and you receive the love that God has for you and you let your love go back up towards Him, I want you to realize that this, this bread, this broken body, that represents everybody that's in front of you and behind you and around you and everybody that's been born again. And I want you to, by faith, let the love of God go out towards you. And as you look around and see people, that in your mind you're saying, these people are dear to me. I'm going to spend heaven and eternity with these people and they are precious to me, I look past their flesh, I look past their faults, I look past their mistakes, and I see what Jesus was willing to pay the ultimate price for. Can you say amen? Amen. And if you're watching on the internet, or you're involved in, in some other medium, I want you to get ready right now. You're just as much a part of this as if you're sitting here in this chair. If you have to run to the fridge and, and get you some juice or something, and, and uh, if, you, if you don't, can't you put your hand on anything? That's all right. Just come and sit close and, and join your love with ours. The Lord will heal you right now, too. He'll minister to you in Jesus' name. Said out loud, God loves me. And I am his friend. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he is my friend. Praise God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. 
If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.